Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I'm going to kick off with James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4 and also include verse 12 which is very relatable. Okay, so let's read that together on the screen. Let's read it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its perfect work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I find this passage fascinating because James uses the word pure joy and trouble in the same sentence. I, I find those two words uh, very, very difficult to mix. Um, and this letter was written to believers who had been scattered from Jerusalem. Uh, and we can't really understand what these people were going through at the time. So they'd lost property. They'd lost their businesses. They'd lost freedom. They'd lost their jobs. Uh, even maybe their health, they'd even possibly lost family members as they left Jerusalem in under persecution and gone to other towns and cities, uh, some far away where they just didn't know even the language sometimes. So what does James mean by count it all joy? How does that work? Is it, does it mean that we should dance and sing when trouble comes into our life? Surely not. And I don't think it does. Because that's a whole different word altogether. It's actually, I think, and this is what we're going to talk about, it's actually a much deeper joy in your heart. A much more internal joy, a hidden joy, a fixed joy that is not like the external joy we see, which is passing. So let's see, I want to talk to you about an example. This this guy, this guy I've I've been looking at in the last few weeks um, from the... 18th century, this guy seemed to have it pinned when it was talking about joy under trouble. So I'm going to read about this guy called Alan Gardner. This is a chap. He looks a bit like me, doesn't he? But he's got hair. So Alan Gardner is a most unusual man whose life is little known and who, in the eyes of the world, seemed dogged by failure. He was a man with a vision that was never dimmed. He was born in England in 1794, a man with a heart for the lost in far-off lands. He came to faith in Christ in 1820 in Penang Malane Strait in a Chinese temple after he received word that his mother had died. In 1821, he married. He and his wife had five children, but he was greatly distressed when his wife sickened and died in 1834. After his wife's death, he offered to serve in South America, but was turned down by the missionary societies of the day. They were looking for a layman. Sorry, they were looking for an ordained man, and he was a layman. His heart was for the tribes of South America. So he had to organize his own missionary society called the Patagonian Mission. You've got Patagonian cave hands up there, which is quite weird. Um, 
So, that time and again, he kept sailing out from um, the UK to Tierra del Fuego. And each time, they would land, get mistreated, and have their supplies stolen. So they would go back again, and each time they returned from South, to South America, from Liverpool, and in 1850, they did it again. They sailed on the Ocean Queen, and several months later, they obviously couldn't fly in those days, several months later, they arrived in Tierra del Fuego, and arrangements had been made uh, to, to land in that place, in a place called Banner Cove, and they were left alone as the ship departed the area, Arrangements had been made to replenish their supplies from the Falkland Islands in about four months' time. So they'd come to evangelize those local people. And 20 years earlier, in 1831, on his famous voyage on the Beagle, Charles Darwin had expressed many times his conviction that it was completely useless to send missionaries to these savages because they were probably the lowest example of the human race. So these are the people that uh, Alan Gardner had come to. So he built a fence of thorns around his area and a tent was put up to protect the supplies, but once again, the natives started to steal. In moving to a more protected anchorage and a source of fresh water, one of the launches went aground and was damaged beyond repair. Month after weary month passed with only an occasional contact with the Fuegians. Food supplies ran low, and were finally exhausted. One by one, the men died of starvation. The diaries of Williams and of Gardner relate to what transpired during this time. One of the most remarkable things is the unity of spirit among these men. There was no accusation or dissension, and each ministered to the other to the very end. The last entry in Gardner's hand in September the 6th, 1851, it would appear that he had attempted to leave the launch to get some fresh water. His body was found on the beach. Both his and Williams's diary were scattered along the beach. 20 days later, the long-awaited help came, but it was too late. The news electrified the Christians of England and elsewhere. Noted here are some of the final diary entries Williams, too weak to rise from his narrow bunk, had, had written. Listen to this. I am, I... I'm happy day and night, hour by hour, asleep or awake. I am happy beyond words and the poor compass of language to tell. As I, day by day and night by night, lie here, what a world, unknown to the world, do I live and have my thoughts and move my affections in. God is indeed about my bed. Let all my beloved ones at home rest assured that I was happy beyond expression the night I wrote these lines and would not have changed situations with any man living. That heaven and love and Christ, which means one and the same divine thing, were in my heart. On his birthday, in the month of June, Gardner had written, if I faint or die here, I beg of you, O Lord, that you would lift up others and send more workers to this great Harvest field, that breaks me up. That just breaks me up. What kind of man was this who had achieved seemingly nothing in his ministry and yet he was happy with the presence of God in a place where he was starving and dying of thirst? Incredible, isn't it? So we may look at his life and say, well, what did he achieve? But... If you've ever heard of a man called Jim Elliot, he also heard the story of 
of uh, Alan Gardner and did the same thing. You're, surely you've probably heard of Jim Elliot, another missionary whose life was very similar. These men had seemingly have a one-track mind. Storms would flatten them, but they'd get up again. Life seemed to mean little to them. Their eyes were fixed on the Saviour, over the top of their troubles. So, as James says in that portion, these men seemingly had become mature and complete. And this is the goal that James is talking about, that we become mature and complete through trials. Isn't that interesting? Because if you're like me, and I'm sure you are, you would prefer to avoid trials. See, the Lord doesn't judge us on our achievements in our life for him, but actually in our maturity in him. So Peter says the same thing. Let's just put the the verse up that Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. Very similar verse. I'll read it to you again. In all this you greatly rejoice. Again, greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of much more worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. So troubles, trials in your life, and mine, refine our faith, and then glorify God. So I'll just give you a little, just a tiny little bit of my background. Lately, since 2019, it was very interesting. We had a crazy time before then when um, God was going to give uh, Oasis, which is my wife's charity, an amazing building out of kind of nowhere, and some of you have been in it and seen it. um, And it was amazing how, how, how God did it. He basically blessed us by the council, giving us the, the land for one pound. Uh, and anyway, that's a whole different story. But through a long and arduous journey, finally Victoria and the team got this land and were able to start to build this centre which would bless the community there. But the same week, the same week that this permission was given by the council, Vic found out that she was BRAC1, a BRAC1 gene carrier. Now that means that uh, she has a defective gene in her body which actually welcomes cancer and doesn't fight cancer. That's basically what it is. Uh, she'd found out this by her own sister who'd also got breast cancer and had found out, had gone to, to, to get the test because she was actually a geneticist, uh, had gone to get the test and found out she was BRAC1. She knew this was inherited, so she went got in touch with all the females in the family and said, you need to get tested. Victoria got tested, found out she was positive. My eldest daughter got tested, found out she was positive. Now, this is very serious because it's, it's very aggressive. Uh, so operation after operation for Victoria... Um, it still didn't prevent her breast cancer. And she went through a a terrible time of chemotherapy. And I I was there with her through that and saw some 
just terrible, terrible things. And some of you in here have experienced that. Radiotherapy, I mean, great treatments, but so, so, so aggressive. Uh, and that was an immensely tough time for us as a family. And then Abigail, my eldest daughter, who was also tested positive, um, had just got married uh, you know, in her mid-twenties, so thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to get all my reproductive organs taken out, so, and I'd love children, so I'm, we're going to try for a child straight away. So here and Matthew uh, attempted to have a child, and sure enough, got pregnant, um, and the baby was born, my first grandchild, and this amazing little girl was born, and they found that she had this super rare heart condition where her heart was back to front, all the plumbing was in the wrong area. So she needed a massive operation, two massive operations. I mean, God has been incredibly good in that because she hasn't had them yet and continues to do really well. But there's always this risk and we're working through this. And this isn't to mention Vic's sister, who has that BRAC1 gene. She was the first to have it. It was terminal with, I don't know what the future is there, but these are crazy times. Crazy. And I'm sure you guys in here, there's stuff going on in your lives. I don't know. God knows. And maybe, you know, you guys know each other and your own trials. But what do we do when these storms arise? What should we do? What is the right response? Do we get depressed? Or do we get closer to God as James is instructing us to do? Because storms will come. Jesus said, you will have trouble in this world. It's not a great verse of scripture, is it? But it's true. It's guaranteed. And so maybe you're in one right now. Maybe you're suffering from loneliness, which is, is incredibly tough. Maybe you have marriage issues. Maybe you have health issues. Maybe you have financial issues or poor mental health. So I'd like to look at three R's with a little help from Tim Keller, my favorite writer, bless his heart. And um, the three R's that Tim advises us to, to, to remember, okay? So when we hit a storm, to remember three R's. So let's look at those. The first one is to repeat... The second one is to remember, and the last one is to rejoice. Repeat, remember, rejoice. So let's have a look at repeat. Interestingly enough, and I'm sure you may have noticed this if you've read your Bible quite a bit, is that the Bible repeats words, such as rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Jesus, time and again, when he spoke to his disciples and others, would say, verily, verily, I say unto you, in other words, I'm saying something really important to you right now. I'm saying something really important to you right now so that they would listen, okay? They would get, he would get them to concentrate. And that word concentrate comes from concentric, which goes round and round and round. So the Lord wants us to use the scripture to go round and round in our hearts and minds to change us from the inside out, to sink the truth deep, to meditate on that truth, because the truth sets us free. It liberates us. It's an anchor. So that's repeat. I do hope you're getting yourselves into the word every single day. I know sometimes it can be difficult, especially if you've got children, but pick a time when you can allow the word to go into your heart and you can concentrate on it. And then it's to remember. 
So the Israelites were always told, if you look at the Psalms, look back on what the Lord has done. So one of the great things that the Lord did for the Israelites was to part the Red Sea, yes? Take them through to the promised land. He did so many miracles. But as humans, we so easily forget, don't we? We forget the miracles of the Lord. We actually look closely at our circumstances and forget what he's done in the past. And this was part of the problem for the Israelites. They forgot the goodness of God. But God wants us to look back, remember what I have done, and ask the question, has he ever failed you? So as we as a family went through an intense, and are still going through an intense trial, I look back and say, has God ever failed me? And I know he hasn't. I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years. He has never failed. The choices and the the situations we found ourselves in, I would have never chosen. But actually, looking back on them, I can see that they they were the right way to go. Of course, he's the king of kings. But the disciples, when they were in the boat on the Sea of Jordan, on on the, not the Sea of Jordan, Sea of Galilee, that storm came up and they forgot who was in the boat with them. Isn't that interesting? They forgot that Jesus, incredibly enough, if you picture it, was asleep in that boat while they, the strong fishermen, were panicking that they were going to go down. See, they didn't connect their knowledge of him to their storm. We need to connect our knowledge of him, however little it is, to the storm that we're in. And lastly, we need to rejoice. Now, this is what James is talking about. Count it pure joy. Okay, so once you start to do the first two, to repeat the scripture, to mull over the scripture, to meditate on the scripture, and then to remember what is done, you will naturally rejoice as you do the first two. So learn to rejoice when you have little. That's a great thing. It's so easy, isn't it, for us to rejoice when we have much. You know, I run my own business and when, it, when times are good and, and I've got lots of sales and I've made good decisions, I rejoice and say, what a clever boy I am, you know? But what about when times are not good, when business is hard? Can you rejoice then? Because actually you're not looking at your circumstances, you're looking at someone over your circumstances who is solid and, and immovable, the Lord himself. You see, money and jobs and even health is fleeting, isn't it? Let's rejoice rather, and this is what Jesus told us to do, rejoice rather that our names are in the book of life. That's so powerful, isn't it? That's what we should rejoice over. So we as a family aren't yet in our stage of looking back on the situation we're in uh, with Lottie, our granddaughter, and uh, Abigail, my daughter, and saying, what pure joy this is. <laughs> We're not there yet, but we are on the way. We are looking back on what the Lord has done with us over years and years and saying, Lord, we trust you. We trust you that you know what you're doing and you can take us through. And actually, ultimately, we're looking to be mature and complete which is exactly what James talks about. So 
So slowly the tapestry is being displayed. It's what the troubles are producing in you. I just wonder about us in here, each one of you, precious to God. What's God doing in your lives at the moment? Are you going through trouble? If you are, think about what God might be doing in your life. You might not know because he's so wise, but what could he be doing? Don't despise the troubled day. Actually see it as something that God is doing in you to produce more of him. How exciting is that? Jonathan Edwards, back in the 17th century, said these words. Our bad things turn to good. That's from Romans about all things work together for good for those who love God. So our bad things turn to good. Our good things can never be taken away. And our best things are yet to come. Isn't that good? Our bad things turn to good. Our good things can never be taken away. That's him, that's Jesus. He can never be taken away from us if you belong to him. And our best things are yet to come. So what are we talking about? Are we talking about being a stoic-like behaviour of a stiff, stiff upper lip and taking all sorts of pain with a smile on her face? I think we've got the perfect example with, with Job, haven't we? What did Job do? If you've ever read the book of Job in the Bible, he cried and wailed when trouble befell his family. Have you read it? And if God didn't tell him off for such behavior, he actually, it was the right behavior. When real trouble comes upon your life, it's right to cry. It's right to wail if you suffer loss. But actually what he did then was he rose and pulled himself together and fixed his eyes back on God. What about we look over the pain and fix our eyes on the king? I'm going to read a poem to you, which was um, made famous, really, by um, Corrie ten Boom. Uh, And I've got a copy. I've got some copies here for lucky people to put on their fridges, okay? I don't don't just come with a word. I come with treats. So you can put one of these on your fridge. Uh, Again, there's only about seven of you, seven of them. So, uh, you know... You can fight me later. Let me read this to you. This is so powerful. If you want to just put the picture up of the, uh, of the, of the tapestry. So, again, here we've got um, one side of a tapestry and the back side of a tapestry, okay? Let me read this to you. This was from Grant Colfax Tuller. Oh, he wrote this. These are very powerful words. Just let them sink into your heart. Life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colours he weaves steadily. Oft times he weaves sorrow, and I, in foolish pride, forgets he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in this weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. 
What about that? I find those words incredible. Absolutely incredible. I'm just going to go over to Hebrew. It's not up on the screen, but I'm going to just read to you. This is from the Living Translation. Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3. And see how, again, how do we live this life of victory when times of trial are upon us, like James is instructing us? How can we have this as pure joy? It points us to Jesus, doesn't it? So let me read. This is Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterward. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterward. Isn't that amazing? How did Jesus, when he set his face to Jerusalem, how did he keep himself from looking at his circumstances, which was, I mean, horror. A, the father's turned his face away. He was punished and he experienced all of the world's sin upon himself. He became sin for us. How did he persevere, like James is saying? He looked over the troubles and the circumstances and he saw me and you. Do you know that? He saw his bride And it was able and it was good for him as he saw them and it brought him joy in the trouble and he persevered through the cross. So what is God teaching us today as I bring this to a close? That even the painful, hard, testing trials of life can bring us closer to him. I just wonder, do you want to be close to him? As close as you can be in this life. I remember when I was first became a Christian, I was a little bit of an idiot. And, um, but I was so on fire for God, but so lacking knowledge. And I would say to Victoria, my new wife then, I would say, let's pray for trouble to come so we can get closer to him. And she would be like, don't pray that. But I was, I was crazy. But I just wanted God. And I believe this. And I was willing to go through trial, even though I wasn't very mature. And when trouble did come, I was like, Lord, what's going on? But I was getting exactly what I prayed for. But now as I'm older, and I don't want trials, but as I I am seeing trials in our lives, I can be thankful. I can be thankful knowing he's a good God who knows just what I can take. He doesn't give the trials. The trials come naturally in this world of brokenness, but he uses the trials to mature us. Isn't that amazingly wise of him? We want to be more like him. Do you want to be more like him? What is God doing in your life in this season? Can you allow him to help you not to look at your circumstances, but to look at him? Because he actually works everything together for good for those who love him. Do you believe that today? I'd love to pray for you afterwards. uh, Or some others here can pray for you. If you're going through a time of trial, if the heat is in your life and you're wondering, what is my future? I'd love to pray for you. 
I would love to pray for you. Because the ultimate pure joy is found in closeness to Christ. What was the persecution and the trouble in Christ's life? What, what, did, what did it actually come to? As he was laid in that tomb, he rose from the dead, and ultimate pure joy came through the resurrection. This is how God does it. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing.